This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and the 2021 MLS Draft is in the books. And uh, it's always a crazy day on draft day, but it's come and gone, and we now have something to talk about. We have a draft to break down, and uh, I have a few special guests to join us to talk about some of the some of the big happenings, some of the big activity. We have the Austin FC head coach, Josh Wolf, who had the first pick overall and uh, shook things up right off the bat with their first pick. So we'll, we'll talk to him about that and uh, about his draft in general. Three first round picks, a busy day for them. And we also have Houston Dynamo head coach and U.S. men's national team legend Tab Ramos in the house. He is He's going to join us and talk about the unbelievable day and week that he's had. He, uh, he's had a pretty, he's, when you look at what he's added to his team this week and the, and the maneuvering that he that he did on draft him and the Dynamo that they did on draft day uh, it, you have to call them some of the big winners uh, after Thursday's draft just with the moves they made and the players that they added and uh, now the Dynamo I don't know when you look at the list of players they've added we got to start talking about them now as as a, as a real playoff contender and a real a team that could be a real handful in 21. But uh, it's not just draft today. We did that last episode. We went all draft. We went all in on the MLS draft. And I said last time that we would we would come back and, and, and try to have more of a balance. And, and, and that's what we're doing. We're going to start off, obviously, with uh, talking Americans abroad. And, and as we know, the Americans abroad contingent is tearing it up. And there's so much to talk about, so many players. And we are going to start off with Weston McKinney and congratulate Weston McKinney on becoming the first American to win the Italian Super Cup, and uh, it's a big, it's, it's a big, uh, big moment, big accomplishment. He started in the match, and he and helped Juventus win its first trophy of the season. And obviously, it's been an up and down year for Juventus. Andrea Pirlo has definitely come under fire. He needed that result. He needed that win, and uh, Weston McKinney helped him get it. And you know, credit to to McKinney. Uh, you know, he had a, he had himself a game, and uh, it was great to see him in those celebrations and, you know, he wasn't playing in the background. He wasn't hiding. He was right in the middle of it, enjoying it. And uh, I'm sure a lot of U.S. men's national team fans enjoyed seeing that because it's just great to see an American so just involved in the whole thing, not just playing, but in celebrating. And you see the way his teammates are with him. You know, you know, he's making a real impact there. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, those guys on that Juventus team, I mean, that's one of the best teams in the world. and, and, the way they are with him, it shows you he has already earned their respect, as he should, because he's played well. He's been a, he's been a great pickup for Juventus, and he's been a, one of the bright spots in, in what has been a bit of an up and down year for Juventus. To be fair, so uh, congratulations to McKinney, big moment for him. Uh, and then we have an un- the other American we have to talk about, obviously, is Matthew Hopi, Matthew Hoppy, Hopi, Hoppy, who <laughs> continues to score goals. He's got five and three matches now. And uh, it's crazy when you start seeing Americans on lists along with Robert Lewandowski and Lionel Messi. You're not used to seeing that, right? But there he is. You saw the graphic that uh, he is tied with <laughs> with Robert Lewandowski for goals in 2021. And uh, Lionel Messi, I think, is right behind them. He has one one less goal. But and again, look, we're, what are we? Three weeks into the year, so enjoy it while you can. Uh, I seem to remember a year ago. Timothy Chandler was up there uh, at the beginning of 2020. Um, and obviously that the year didn't really get much better than that for him. But still, Matthew Hopi, if you're a U.S. fan, especially with the 
kind of need for need for strikers, right? The, the 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 desperate search for the striker who can become the starter, can become the player to take the starting role away from Josie Altidore. And and we've been waiting for for Josh Sargent to kind of be ready to take over that role. And now here comes Matthew Hopi, and look, he looks pretty good. He looks pretty good, and. You're already starting to see it. You're already starting to see the comparisons and the and the and the questions about Hopi and Sargent and why is Hopi better? He's scoring goals in a way that Sargent hasn't scored goals yet, so maybe he's better than Sargent. So it's already starting. The cannibal the cannibalization of of US national team prospects has begun. And it's like listen, just enjoy them all, right? You're not we're we're, we're months away from from the the full senior team coming together, uh, which will be in March, and we are even more even further away from meaningful matches. So right now it's too early to start already kind of getting into the, you know, this guy's this guy's clearly better than that guy. That guy's, you know, maybe Jess Sargent isn't the guy. And settle down, folks. He's starting and he's playing, you know, he's playing pretty well actually for for Werder Bremen and you know, he's he's not pouring in the goals, but he's he's doing a lot of important work there uh for Werder Bremen and um it's just great to have another player come up come up and help give potentially give Greg Berhalter some options. And um, the striker position is is looking a lot more promising, and obviously hope he helps that because he's he's still 19. He's only 19 years old, right? So he's still, you know, he's still young, and uh, you want to see him in March. At this point, if he keeps it up, if he continues to start, and if he definitely if he continues to score the goals, he will be called in in March. You can count that. You can, you can take that to the bank. He will be part of that March friendly. Uh, those March friendlies uh, that you would expect the U.S. to play in. So, I mean, as much as uh, as much as you'd love to see uh, uh, Hopi even sooner, you're probably going to see him in March, especially if he continues to play the way he's been playing. So, uh, but look, the striker position uh, is looking promising. You, you know, Sargent is starting for Bremen. Hopi is starting for Schalke. Uh, and now you see Sebastian Soto uh, is is heading to Norwich City. Uh, they, they've called him, recalled him from his loan. Uh, it seems that now he has been approved for a work permit, a U- UK work permit. And what's interesting is uh, it seems that his call up in December for the U.S. national team, when uh, he he took part in their in their camp and he played in their friendly against El Salvador, it, it appears that that appearance uh, helped him helped his appeal for the work permit and helped put him over the top. And uh, that right there is, you know, you got to give Greg Berhalter some some credit for the maneuvering. And, and now Soto is going to is gonna be able to play at Norwich City. And, and that's, a, that's a step up from the Dutch second division. No offense to the Telstar, no offense to the Erste the, Divisie the, uh, the, the, uh, or whatever, whatever, the Dutch second division. Uh, playing in Norwich City in the league championship, that, that's, a better, that's a better step for him. So... Good to see, and then hopefully he can get some playing time there. But uh, again, the striker position—you're starting to see some some players. So, and guess who's in U.S. camp right now? Josie Altador, right? So that you know he has—he's—he's he's not ready to go yet. He's not retiring from the U.S. national team. As much as there's definitely that segment of U.S. fans that would love that to happen, he's still the guy. He's still the guy until someone like Sargent, someone like Hopi, someone like Soto, someone like Nicholas Giacchini. Uh, is is you know until one of those guys really really takes command, it's going to be Josie Altador. So we'll see. We, there's still some time. So uh, not, not to drag on with the U.S. men's national team strikers. Uh, a little more Americans abroad convor- conversation. Uh, Serginho Dest is uh, is injured. He uh, he's got a right 
right thigh discomfort that's uh, keeping him out now for, for Barcelona. So there's a little good news and bad news at Barcelona because the bad news is he's injured and sidelined. The good news, Conrad De La Fuente uh, played the most minutes so far for the – he had his longest first-team appearance in in Barcelona's uh, Copa del Rey match on Thursday. And uh, that's promising, right? You, you like to see him – Get an opportunity. Um, it, that was his first uh, his first action since early December. So you know, good to see. Obviously, he's young, and and you know, you, you'd like to see him get that opportunity. So uh, you know, hats off to him there for sure. Uh, and that's that. You know, there's so many there's so many things to talk about as far as Americans abroad. So we'll, we'll try to cut it short. I will say, hope Matthew Hopey. Uh, he's got five goals in three matches. He scored in three in a row, and if he's going to make it four in a row. He's going to have to do it against Bayern Munich, so hey, not not the easiest, not the easiest assignment there. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what he can do. If he listen, if he scores against Bayern Munich, you can rest assured the hype train will officially like the brakes are going. It's full speed. There's no stopping the hype train at that point. If he scores a goal against Bayern Munich, as much as the hat trick was great, as much as that was great. As much as the goal, the next game was great, and the goal, uh, this most recent game was was pretty good too. A goal against Bayern Munich will definitely set things off in terms of just the hype train, and it'll be great. It'll be great, and you see the confidence. So uh, we'll see what he can do against Bayern Munich. And in England, also in England, we mentioned Soto with Norwich City, but in England, Zach Steffen has uh, has returned to the bench for Manchester City. Ederson is back healthy, and uh, Manchester City is on a roll right now. They're looking like a, they look the way Liverpool is struggling right now. Manchester City definitely looks like. The biggest competition for Man United for the for, for the Premier League title and uh, uh, Zach Steffen, you know, you, you wonder, oh, when's he going to get another chance to play? He actually should get a chance this weekend in FA Cup play. Uh, I believe they're playing Cheltenham, and uh, that should be another opportunity for him to get a game. And he, I believe, he's still undefeated. So, uh, not to jinx him, not you know, I don't. He hasn't given up very many goals either. So, uh, and, you know, obviously playing uh, behind that Manchester de- uh, City defense as, as well as it's been playing this season. Um, but still, credit to uh, to Stefan. He's been taking full advantage of the games that he's gotten, and uh, he'll get another one here in the FA Cup. Moving on to the U.S. men's national team, and we now know who the Americans will play at the end of the January camp. And uh, there was an original report that had Serbia being the opponent, but it is not Serbia. It will be Trinidad and Tobago. Tobago. Tobago <laughs> on January 31st in Orlando. Every every game is in Orlando. The U.S. women are playing in Orlando. U.S. men are playing in Orlando. Uh, obviously, Florida, things are a little more kind of lax there. So, you know, you, you have more freedom to do more things. So that's what, what what makes it a great place. Obviously, also, you can train in, in, in nice weather. So uh, you really have the best of both worlds there. So uh, we'll see what they can do. We'll see what kind of uh, what kind of competition Trinidad can, can provide. And... Uh, and I think it's fair to say, not that it, it should go without saying, that it's been long enough now. No one should still be traumatized when they hear Trinidad and Tobago, right? I mean, the U.S. has already beaten them. They beat them in the Gold Cup, beat them pretty bad. Uh, so let's let's move on now. I don't think anyone still has PTSD from from the you know the World Cup qualifying loss. I think we've moved on from that now. It's been it's been how many three three more than three years? That's crazy, man. It's crazy. I still feel like I can remember. I, it feels like yesterday sitting there in that stadium and uh you know i won't relive it anymore i don't want i don't want to really give people <laughs> ptsd if i start reliving the the Kuva nightmare but we'll see i'm looking forward to seeing that match and, and seeing how some of these young u23s uh fare obviously the 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 makeup of the squad that will play trinidad 
it will have those veterans on the team, obviously, like uh, like Josie Atador, but then it will have a, a select number of the top U23s who are part of that full Olympic qualifying group that's been in camp. So we'll see what they can do. Uh, one player who will not take part in that match, uh, I believe, is Jordan Morris, and he has left camp. As you probably know by now, the reports are out there, and it's 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 pretty public knowledge at this point that Jordan Morris is, is set to join Swansea City on a loan, and uh, it's a great it's a great opportunity. It's a great move. Um, he he's made it clear for some time now that he's open to uh, to going to Europe, and it's it's been more than a year now. I still remember talking to him after they won MLS Cup in 2019, and and I remember in the locker room asking him directly, you know, hey, you know, would you be open to going to Europe? And he absolutely said yes. He would definitely be open for the right opportunity. So. It's been some time now that he's been ready, uh, and he's so mature now. You know, he he's so mature, he's so confident, so much more confident now. You know, I think he's ready, and he's done all there is to do in MLS. Let's be honest, right? He's won title, multiple titles. He's been to MLS Cup every year that he's been healthy. Seattle, uh, Seattle has been, uh, you know, <laughs> they've gotten to MLS Cup. So you know that that just shows you what the kind of impact that he has, and it's ready. It's time for him to show what he can do, and uh, and and look if he does well. Then who knows, right? Then then you're talking about a potential real full transfer. Maybe he stays in England and really has an opportunity to take off. And you know, I think with the quality, that, I think he has the quality to make it over there. I think he has the physical tools, and I think he, sh- he has improved the skill enough to be a real a real threat, especially as a winger. Now that he's really kind of uh, taken to the position, so we'll see. We'll see what he can do. That 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 one definitely bears watching. And I I will say I am curious to see how many other MLS players go on loan. Um, to Europe, with everything going on and the uncertainty of the labor situation in MLS, um, you know, at this point, there's no lockout, there's no strike yet, but that's entirely possible. There's also with everything going on with COVID and, 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 you know, will MLS owners decide to delay as much as they can so they can have more matches when there are people that are allowed to be in the stadium? So there's a lot unanswered there. So I personally can't help but wonder how many teams are considering that, are considering loaning players to, to you know, make some money and also give their players opportunities. I, I know there was a, I know there was a report. I think my guy Doug McIntyre might have might have put it out there uh, from Yahoo uh, about Paul Ariola potentially being another player who could join Swansea City. I don't know if that one's uh, necessarily going to happen, but still, there should be players uh, you know that make 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 a move over there i mean look at aaron, aaron long perfect example right and i don't know if the red bulls would even do it but it would be great to see aaron long have an opportunity to go on loan and really show that he can play over there and show he can play on that level and then maybe that can turn into a real transfer offer uh teams are already obviously interested in aaron long but the the red bulls have put a price on him that's just not going to make a deal happen so but who knows? You know, maybe you loan Aaron Long and he plays so well that teams are like, oh, no, OK, you know, we'll, we'll pay the money for him now. We'll pay what you want. And then there you go. We'll get a deal done. But I wouldn't hold my breath on that, uh, at least not with Aaron Long. But we'll see. We'll see if any other any other MLS players uh, can make loans, can can go on loan. Uh, another player who will be missing the uh, U.S. national team friendly at the end of uh, January is Sean Johnson. He has also left camp. Uh, and that pretty much lines things up for Matt Turner to, you know, to get the start. And and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. You know, the the Jersey boy, obviously coming off a, a breakout year with New England, who's really, really good, 
you know, one of the best, if not the best goalkeeper in MLS in 2021, I mean, 2020. So we'll see. We'll see if he gets a chance to start there. And uh, another player who has left camp is Brian Reynolds. Um, it says personal reasons. I know automatically people are going to say, oh, he's leaving to go to Juventus. The deal's done. Get ready to announce it. But I don't think that's what's going on there. I think I think he's... Uh, I think he's got other stuff going on there, so you know he he. That's why he had to leave camp. So uh, I wouldn't hold my breath on a deal uh, a deal to Europe getting done like in like immediately in the next couple of days. I think it's still it's going to get pretty close. It's going to get uh, right to the deadline. I would say uh, for a deal to get done, and I know there have been reports of a, of a deal, the Juventus Benevento loan transfer deal being done already. But my understanding is not it's not done yet. So we'll see. We'll see it, what gets done. I'm very confident that Brian Reynolds is going to move on a transfer this this winter. What I still don't know is where he's going to go. And I know some people are standing on some of the current reports out there. Some people are definitely standing by what is kind of been accepted now as, as happening. But... We shall see. We shall see. You know, the transfer window, transfer windows are always, uh, always are always good for for some shakeups and some some misdirections. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Reynolds. But I, I, you know, I can't wait to see him get a, go to Europe because he has so much talent, and uh, uh, it's great to see so much interest in him. Uh, you know, a player who a year ago wasn't even in the picture, like he wasn't playing for FC Dallas, and you know, he got the opportunity, took full advantage of it. So great for him, and, and a player who is back in camp or who is in camp now. Julian Araujo, who is back and, uh, you know, he left because of an illness. I wonder what it was. And now he's back. <laughs> A couple weeks later, he's recovered. And uh, it's interesting, right? He, uh, it, it, We know he's a dual national. We know he can play for Mexico. But he's been. A, it's been a few camps now and a few opportunities to be with the team. And, um, you know, uh, it's looking like he's enjoying himself with the U.S. national team. And as much as there's there's really a growing amount of competition for the right back spot, he looks like he's having fun. And he looks like he he wants – he's enjoying being part of the setup. And it's not like he's new. He was on the U-20 World Cup team in 2019. So this isn't a new, new thing for him. But clearly, you know, he – like some players before him – you know, he took the opportunity to say, hey, you know, I'm a dual national. I can play for Mexico, so maybe call me up. So, and look, it's worked out, right? He's gotten the call up. Uh, and uh, no, he wasn't going to Tottenham. I know that was a rumor that popped up randomly out there. People ran with it. It's amazing, the cycle of uh, how a just absolute BS report goes from someone's uh, fictional creation to spanning the world and and going into the internet machine and being spit out by the usual suspects and he he's not going to Tottenham he wasn't going to Tottenham that that wasn't a thing um, he is a good prospect and you know he is going to have his opportunities eventually but no he wasn't going to, he was never going to Tottenham but I think people figured that out but uh, eventually after the initial hysteria wore off and after the initial people reactions and people, you know, spreading it around, it is what it is, right? We're so used to it by now, the way rumors, uh, the, the way rumors fly. But I would say to everybody, when you, when you hear a rumor that just seems like random, see where it comes from and, and f- try to find the initial source, right? The initial, initial source, because the way things get, you know, repackaged, repurposed and, and spun around, it's, you know, there's always a bit of a trail you can follow and, uh, and then always try to find that original source and then look at the original source and ask yourself, is this person, would they be in the position to know 
that this is happening? And if the answer is I can't see it, then probably you're probably fair to just not really buy buy the report. But there's a lot of that going around. There's a lot. Of, it's it's unfortunate, but it adds to the excitement, I suppose, of of the international window. And now that we've talked Americans abroad and U.S. men's national team a bit, it's time to talk about the MLS draft. Twenty twenty one MLS draft is in the books. And Austin FC, the newest MLS expansion team, uh, had the first pick. They were on the clock. And right off the bat, first pick, they shook things up. And no, no, they didn't go, you know, they didn't select some unknown player. They, they selected a player that was, you know, one of, regarded as one of the top three prospects in the draft. But he definitely was a bit of a surprise as the number one overall pick. And that was Virginia Tech's Daniel Pereira, the central midfielder from Venezuela, uh, a really uh, exciting young midfielder attacking midfielder slash box to box midfielder and um i said it on the last episode uh in talking to mike noonan from clemson about Pereira. Um, you know he brought him up and you know uh, something that i noticed in just watching his games from freshman to sophomore year was just just you know the changes in him and, and i you know we have we have we're lucky enough to have josh wolf uh, join us um, as our as our first guest on this episode. And, and Austin FC obviously was busy on the day. They had three first round picks. Uh, they they selected uh, Pereira. They selected Freddie Kleeman, the center back from from Washington at number eleven overall. Uh, and then Aiden Stanley, the left back from Duke University, and and who also had a cup of coffee at the USL Sporting Kansas City team. So um, they were pretty busy. Austin FC, and and we have Josh Wolf on the uh, joining us from Austin is Josh Wolf, and I have to ask you, uh, now that you ha- you know now that you shook things up, you had the first pick in in the team's history. You select Daniel Pereira. Um, so tell me, what what are your initial impressions of your new number one overall pick? He's a humble, hungry kid, and talking to him, um, he's excited by the opportunity, and he he's worked hard to get here and come through some things and. And that also shapes, you know, the mentality that, that we think he'll come in with. And um, uh, we're excited by him. Now, he, uh, he, I had a chance to kind of watch him from freshman to sophomore year, and you definitely yeah. saw, uh, you saw a, a, a big leap from freshman to sophomore year in terms of physically. Yeah. Like, he, he had the skill his freshman year. exactly right. But you That's saw exactly right. kind of he definitely looks like he took the, you know, just shed weight. His fitness went up a ton and, and he became more of a two-way player. Did you see that? And how much did that excite you seeing him kind of make that jump? That's exactly right. And Dave Tenney is our, our director of high performance, and, and I think he's fantastic. And he's obviously uh, he's a he's a Virginia Tech alum. So we, we had some ability to talk to the high performance people at Virginia Tech and um you know, and obviously talking in with, 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 with Daniel, and that's part of it. You can see the physical transformation. Then you see the soccer acumen, the quality on the ball. Um, and, and that's in just one year. And these kids are going to continue to develop. And, you know, if he stayed in school, he, he would continue to make strides. But getting him into our environment, now for us to be able to work with him on those physical components that you talk about, the high-speed running, the ground cover, the, you know, um, you know, the capacity to run, the distance at high speed, those, those are things that our league is, is, is certainly known for now. It, it tends to have a transition component to it. and um, you, you have to meet some physical needs. And uh, he has, a, and along the way, he has some very good soccer qualities. And again, marrying those two things and you know, with the way that we want to play, that's, that's what kept bringing us back to him. He's, for us, he was the best player. He was the best player in college. Right, right. Definitely, as far as passing, there's no doubt uh, he's the best passer in, in this group. The the three guys that ended up going third were the three that 
everyone expected to be the top three. Um, how much deliberation was there on your part personally? I mean, did you go back and forth uh, liking one and then liking the other? Because I mean, I heard I heard a while back that you you were pretty high on uh, on Calvin Harris, so that maybe he's the guy you you personally liked. Is it was there that kind of process, or, or did you, or was it early on for you, like you kind of felt, you know, Danny Pereira kind of caught your eye early? No, we go back and forth. I think between, you know we have Davy, Arno, Nolan, Sheldon, Rodrigo. You know, we realistically have Claudio and Preston. There's a lot of us that have been in this league for a long time, and, and we watched college kids come into this league. We were college kids ourselves coming into this league, and um, and again, we lean on people that we, we that we know, the relationships that we have, and um, we 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 talk openly. And and again, we we would argue about certain things, and that's you know that's a good process to go through. I mean. And, and again, it starts by knowing what are your expectations for the player, but how do you play? How do you envision this player coming into our system and playing? And, and is he going to be set up to succeed? Does he have the tools to come in and translate? And, uh, you know, that's the start. We have to, we have to teach, we have to develop players. And that's, that's our responsibility as coaches. And that's, you know, that's something that we'll take very seriously here as most coaches do. So, um, but we deliberated. Absolutely. We talked. Uh, back and forth about about Calvin and certainly about Mayaka and we had good conversations with all of them. I spoke to a number of their coaches and um, not just in college. So, you know, that, that's doing the research and that's doing the you know trying to find out all the little details that make the player that they are today, and then also trying to give you a little bit of insight of what they're going to be. And um, you know, uh, time will tell for all these guys how they develop. But, but we're really pleased with um, with, with with getting Danny and. Um, you know, he, he's, he's excited, and we're excited for him and, and excited about having him. Now, there were a lot of teams that, that were very, very high on Mayaka. Um, I, I had a chance to kind yeah. of survey a bunch of different head coaches and sporting directors off the record about who they would take number one if they had they could take anybody in this whole draft. A lot of people said Mayaka. Was there any thought of, of, of entertaining a move uh, to, to maybe move down to three, or, or, you know, or, or is it a case of as an expanded team having that number one pick means, means a lot and having that moment means a lot. And you knew you had your guy. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, of course there was a lot of deliberation. I mean, we know we have Alex Lane. We know we have Fuglinda. We know we have Segura. So we, we, we know we have a certain complement of players as well as, as on the wings we have, you know, it's also about what, what we have and kind of how we envision the player developing and the minutes that he can or cannot get. And, uh, you know, ultimately we're looking at, at, at the player and um, I guess there's, there's ways you could move around and, and try to make more money and, and, and play that game. But you also have the opportunity with the number one pick just to go out and get who you want and go out and get who you think makes most sense right now and have absolutely no questions if you move down, if he's still going to be available. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's part of the, you know, that's part of this exercise of, of the draft. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we went and got players that we felt we knew enough about, that we watched, and that we feel good about. Freddie Kleeman's another example of that. And, um, you know, I think that's, you know, what do we want to do? How do we want to do it? And, and how do we get people that we, we feel can competently come in and do it? And, and knowing that it's still going to take time and, um, you know, that they have the character to, to, to take it on. Now, there were definitely a good. There was a good number of. There were a good number of center backs uh, available in this draft, and and obviously Ethan Bartlow as a generation Adidas player was highly coveted. But anyone who watched the footage of, of Bartlow, you'd notice Kleeman obviously just with his his presence and and his, he moves so well for his size and he's physical. He's not afraid to get in on tackles. Was it a case of you watching Bartlow and you noticed Kleeman, or, or did you kind of have a sense of Kleeman from right like early on? I mean, because he, you know, he he. I didn't get the sense he was like. That high on other teams' radars, but he—if you watch him, you see that he has all the tools to, for for the pro level. 
Yeah. Uh, again, I, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time over the last 18 months watching, you know, you know, a lot of college from before, but when I got, you know, I was able to go to Kansas city and, and it's, it's important to see these guys up close. So anytime we had that chance, we, we were definitely doing it. So we were able to go to Kansas city and see, um, you know, it's a tough exercise. Some of these kids haven't played in months and, and you take that into perspective as well. But with Freddie, again, you see an athletic uh, center back that's got a good frame, good size, and he's a very responsible defender. His, his, what he's what he's digesting and his decision making based around what's going on around him or in front of him, I thought was really good. His defending the penalty box was solid. His um, his his ability and 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 the the risk that he would take in stepping to defend plays in, in between lines. It, you know, you want that bravery, you want that commitment, and then you know when it doesn't work, how can you defend and duel? And um, you know, I think those things are are things that are solid. They're going to still need work at the next level, but I really liked his ability with the ball. He, he brought the ball into the attack. He'd find the weak side pocket. He'd break lines right in front of you. He'd put his foot on it and go back. And, and those are things, again, Matt Beasley will have, Cascante will have, Romagna is something, somebody that have that levels of physicality, but, but, but also the soccer. We need these guys to, to be able to take it on. And, and, and you, you've watched enough soccer. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes. And then how do you deal with that? How do, how do you be brave, get back on the bike and do it again? And um, I, I like his mentality. I like his, his, his soccer IQ for as a center back. And, and again, another hungry kid and um, was very, very excited to, to, to join the team. Right, right. Definitely. You, you mentioned mentality. And if you, yeah, anyone you watch him play, you can tell he, he's, he's a, he's a tough one. He's not, you know, he's not going to back down. He's not going to be overwhelmed necessarily by the, by the next level in physicality he's going to face. Now, now left back was another position that had a ton of, of, of interesting prospects in the, in the pool here. Now you guys took Aiden yeah. Stanley, who was one of the more kind of true natural left backs. It's not a case of him being kind of a converted winger. Uh, is the, yeah. is it, is the fact that he, he has that experience at the position and, and, actually is a defender, good defender. Is that what kind of swung you over some other yeah, potential I think, options? Yeah. yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, a natural defender, left footed, natural, naturally, you know, you know, he's defensive minded, I guess, to some degree. And, and we'll see, we're going to try to educate that and, and put him into our world, but he spent some time with FKC. He, he had some time, I think with Portland as well. He's had a little bit, you know, some experience with youth national teams. So again, I think somebody that's, that's played at a good level and, and, and for us, you know, getting at that point in the draft, we, we know we need a little bit of cover for, for, for Ben Sweat. He had a little off-season surgery, and, um, you know, he, he's a good, experienced player, and, and this will give us some, you know, some competition, some depth, and in, in, in certainly uh, in the start of the season. And, and we'll, we'll also look to add, you know, somebody in that position internationally. So um, we'll, we'll keep looking. I mean, our, our, our roster is not complete, but, um, you know, I think Aiden has that opportunity. He's going to come in and, and obviously um, hopefully we get these guys here this, this next few days and, are getting them acclimated to Austin, but um, you know, I think you know, I think he learns to having a little bit of depth, and hopefully we can see what he has on the offensive side as well. As you mentioned, you, you're still you know s- still in the middle of the process of building that roster. Uh, is there yeah. n- not to ask you about who you're going to sign next? But is it are you close to adding a few more pieces, or is it is it still are you still kind of early days? Yeah, no, I think we are. I think we're, we're trying to you know internally within the league, we have another player that we're trying to. Um, you know, to, to get across the line, and um, you know, internationally, we're looking for you know some 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 attacking uh, quality, whether it's a, another striker, a backup striker, or someone to help with with Hosen, and and certainly an attacking mid, and um, you know, and that's those are two things that we're really focused on, and, and again, some some somebody at a left back as well to, to help give us you know some some balance and, and some some qualities out there as well, but we we want a team that has 
we know next year is going to, or this year is going to be um, congested more than likely. So we, we, we want a deep squad. We, we want players that, you know, certainly have, have played within the league, but, but we also know um, the importance of introducing new players from, from abroad and internationally. And, and, and we're keen on both of those, but um, you know, we're, we're building, we're, we're happy to some degree with, with where, what we've gotten to so far, we, we know there's still a, you know, a number of pieces to add and, and, and quality that, that we need to inject into the group. Last one for me. Obviously, when you when you have an expansion team, you never know as far as players from within the league. You know, yeah, what what kind of talent you can get because as an expansion team, no one wants to give away their their better players. But you were yeah. able to get two top top guys in Alex Ring and Nick Lima in terms of guys who are still like in their prime or or you know close to it. How, how important was it to get those two guys in particular, and then someone like Nick Lima who had his kind of ups and downs at San Jose, but who you, you played, you worked with him with the national team and you know what he can do. Uh, what, what was, you know, what did it mean to you to be able to add him to this mix? Yeah. Again, I think it's, and, and, and you mentioned two players that, I mean, I, I can mention a lot of players. Right. I think they, they all bring some great qualities, but Alex ring is, is, um, you know, I, I said it when we were acquiring, he's, he's one of the best, most consistent center mid in the league. And he's playing as a six. He's also played as, as an eight, but, you know, for me coming in and, and the way that we want to play to have somebody that has his personality, his, um, you know, his technical qualities, his, his leadership qualities, that, that's really important. The middle of the field is really important. And, and the spine of the team is, is just that. And, and, and with Nick Lima, you get a, again, a, a player at a great age that we've worked with, with the national team, but has been very good coming into the league from college. And, you know, in, in San Jose, he played both left and right. And, and Cross is going to play on the right. He, he, he's got an unbelievable engine. He's very good in dueling, and he's he's much better in the offensive third than than I even thought. Great. Well, definitely appreciate the time and good luck with the project. And I uh, look forward to making it out there to Austin to see what you guys are doing. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks again. And that's Josh Wolf, head coach of Austin FC, uh, f- uh, former MLS standout, former U.S. World Cup player, and uh, it's crazy. He's a head coach now. I remember. I remember when he was a, a youngster in the league. I remember when I was a youngster in the league. You know, I wish him luck. It's a, it's 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 always you know it's never easy. You know, kind of building a building a team from scratch, and even more so. Given the current situation in the world with the pandemic, I'm sure that it's been challenging there. Now, obviously, this draft has been, I said it last episode, I said it in the MLS draft preview episode, that this was the most challenging draft in history, in the history of the MLS draft because of the challenges of scouting. They were only, you know, almost none of the conferences played college soccer in 2020, except for the ACC. There was no PDL. So, so teams really, it was really tough. It was really tough. Now, Austin FC did, you know, they had three first round picks and, you know, you know, I didn't think they did terribly, but I didn't think they did as well as they could have done. And, and, you know, it's, it's a tough one. It's really a tough one. Obviously the first pick, you're going to take who you want, right? Um, you're going to take who you like, um, you know, can you argue, oh, but they could have traded down and gotten per third overall as, you know, as I mentioned to, to, to Josh, to Josh Wolf and just discussing that, but um, they stood pat. For me, the Kleeman pick was a – I felt like that was a reach. Um, absolutely. I think they, I, he would have been there in the second round, in my opinion, but you never know, right? So if you fall in love with a player and you can take him, 
even if, you know, even if it's not the consensus. And that's the thing, right? At the end of the day, and people always ask me, you know, as far as, you know, when I do my rankings, right? My draft rankings, I do my mock drafts, I do my big boards, my positional rankings, I did all that leading up to the draft. And all of that is based on a consensus of, of, of talking to, to dozens, and I mean dozens of, whether it's head coaches, assistant coaches in, in MLS, general managers, uh, college coaches, uh, you name it, scouts, uh, agents, I talked to I talked to a, a laundry list of of people to get insight and input. Uh, and obviously, there 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 are some people who I've talked to for years who I trust and I've known and I and I know their opinion is legitimate. I know that they know what they're talking about. So I like to think that our rankings are pretty good, right? But again, it's still it's an imper it's it's never going to be you're never going to get people to agree, right? So as much as you, you know, you can say, oh well, look, Kleeman could have been in her second round, but hey, you know, if you like the player, that's the you know, are you going to gamble with that and and I remember, I remember uh, sporting Kansas City uh, the year that they drafted CJ Sapong, right? And at the time, CJ Sapong, for me, for my money, he was a, he was someone who would have been available later. He would have been available in the second round. And I remember talking to Peter Vermees, and he made it. He pretty much was like, "Look, you know, we like him. That's who we like, and we're not going to mess around with all this. You know, moving up, moving down, trying to get some money. Blah blah. blah. We like our guy. We're going to take him. So, like, I get that, right? That's fair, understandable strategy." And look, it worked out for Sporting Kansas City. CJ Sapong was Rookie of the Year. He gave him some great time there. Um, similar to Matt Beasler. Matt Beasler, another one who, you know, he went a little earlier than expected for sure. But it it worked out. I mean, no one will complain about the time that, that uh, Matt Beasler had in Sporting Kansas City. So you understand why if Austin liked Freddie Kleeman, then that's a, you know. Then is it is it a reach? I'm gonna still call it a reach, but time will tell if it, if if it you know if Freddie Kleeman ends up being great, ends up being a pro ten year starter, whatever. Then it's like okay, look, you know what? Clearly they saw something that proved to be right. But guess what? If he's if he washes out of the league, he never really plays. Um, I, I'll never forget the Toronto FC draft pick. I believe is Clement Simonin, um, who just came out of nowhere, and I think he was an he was like an early, I want to say like sixth overall. I forget the year, and I remember then thinking like, what is what are they doing? What who like no way should they be taking this guy at this pick? And you know, at the end of the day, it was proven that that was the right reaction because the guy didn't even play. So. It is such an inexact science, but as I said earlier, this year is so challenging with with everything that you know when it comes to scouting, especially as an expansion team, right? This is Joshua's first draft, so this is his first go round, his first cycle of doing the whole scouting, evaluating college players. Like it's the first time, so you know what? I, you know what? Maybe they make them, they make their mistakes, and and hopefully down the road, you know what? They'll learn from those things. So we'll see. Um, now you have on the other hand. You had the Houston Dynamo and Tab Ramos, uh, wheeler dealer that he is. I mean, how about the week that they had? I mean, they they go and get Tim Parker from the Red Bulls, which obviously obviously was a huge move for them. But then they go into the draft. They're sitting at number three overall, right? And everyone agrees what the top three is. The top three is Mayaka, Philip Mayaka, Calvin Harris, and Daniel Pereira. Now, if you're the Houston Dynamo. You're not really, you know, Mayaka, sure, if he fell to you, you you know, you, 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 you might consider it. But they were looking to try to move down to get and and because with the center backs that were available, they felt, you know, and I said this last episode, the move for Houston would be to move down and get money. And then and then, you know, you have your money and you still probably get the guy that you want. And that's the dream scenario. And guess what? 
the dream scenario happened. It, it happened for the Dynamo. They moved down from three to six. They trade with the Colorado Rapids. They get two hundred thousand in allocation money. Uh, could be up to two fifty. They turn around and flip out that same amount of allocation money to the to Nashville, and they get Derek Jones, the defensive midfielder, central midfielder, um, former U.S. under twenty, who played previously for Tab Ramos on the U.S. under twenty team. So, I mean, and then Ethan Bartlow slips to the Dynamo at number six, and they get Derek Jones, and they get the consensus uh, top center back in this draft in Ethan Barlow. So Tad Ramos is le- leading a charmed life and we're lucky enough to have him uh, on the, on the line uh, joining us uh, from Houston, Texas, the, the uh, U S national team legend. And uh, you know, the, one of the big, you have to say, I think most people would agree. One of the big winners of the 2021 MLS draft, Tad Ramos, welcome to the SBI show. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Not as good as you. You, you had a you had a pretty good week. Uh, you know, if I if I tell you on Monday, or yeah, I think it was Monday. If I tell you on Monday that by the end of the week you would have Tim Parker, Derek Jones, Ethan Bartlow. Uh, what, would, what would you think? You think you think you could pull that off? Yeah. No. I, I would. I would have said that I would have been highly hopeful that something like that could happen. Uh, but I would have been happy with two out of three. Now, obviously, in the uh, heading into the offseason, you wanted to to upgrade the defense. That that was a priority for sure. Picking up a player like Tim Parker, who who's played at such a high level in the league, how important was that? And what does he what does he give you? What does he help you do as a as a coach? And and for what you want to do with your setup? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, I think we we've been fortunate enough that we've been able to add some very good players. You know, I'm I, I'm really hopeful about Fafa and the damage that he can still do in this league. Same with Maxi uh, because he works so hard for his goals. But I tell you, you know, being able to add Tim Parker is huge for us. That I think for our club, it's 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 a game changer. It's sort of the beginning of something new. I think we start a new cycle with Tim Parker. Um, he's a leader. Uh, he's a winner. Um, you know, he's the type of kid that I know well. Um, you know, he I think he just he gave us the ability to to make some other moves. Uh, and to actually go into the draft with a little bit uh, to be able to breathe as we went into the draft because he was he was such a big piece for us and we didn't necessarily have a backup plan for that because I don't think there could have been a backup plan for Tim Parker within the league for us right available now you get now you get Tim Parker so obviously that changes your your, your stance heading into the draft you're you're in a little better position but even with that you still need to have a few kind of dominoes fall into place for you. Uh, and I know you wanted to try to trade down, but not too far down, so you could still get one of the, the defenders that you liked. And uh, obviously Colorado came calling. They make that deal. And then you, you're able to get down to six and pick up Ethan Bartlow. And, you know, a lot of people think he was the best defender, best center back in this draft. What, what do you like about him as a, as a defender? Yeah, I mean, so, so, so first of all, having, you know, you know, I'm sure it's been difficult for every team this year. I'm sure more difficult than ever before in MLS draft. Although I, this is only my second year of being involved from the inside. But obviously, you know, we had to deal with the fact that, you know, most of these players didn't even play this year. So you're looking at old video, you know, you're doing research through talking to people, you know, connections within the country become really important because you have to speak with everybody. And I think, you know, adding Tim Parker gave us the ability to be able to gamble on the last day. So obviously it was, it was an intelligent gamble because, 
we knew sort of where players could go. The only one we weren't sure about uh, was, you know, sort of it, it was either going to be uh, Pereira that went first or third, but we thought second would would be Harris, and then and then we thought that Kamani would would likely go fourth, and the the issue was going to be what was going to happen next, and we weren't sure with. Um, I think it was uh, with BC United whether they would go with Shields or whether they would go with Halsey, and I think that was a little bit that was a little bit of the gamble that we had to take, and I think it it gave us an opportunity to do that. And for us to get Ethan, we you know we agree we think he was the best center back in the draft. He's the most he's the most ready center back in the draft. We did think that there were some center backs in the draft who had a lot of potential um, and who will eventually be very good center backs, but. We think, you know, the, the passing that Ethan has, uh, his ability to read the game, his ability to, his range um, of passing, you know, not only short in between lines, but long to our wingers. We play with wide wingers. So we, we, we just thought that he was the perfect fit for us. And to be able to pull off, you know, trading down and ending up with both Jones uh, and Bartlow, uh, basically for a third draft pick uh, was huge. It was a huge day for us. Now, Derek Jones is a is a player you know well, and he's an interesting one because he has so much talent, and and people have kind of been waiting for him to break out. Uh, you had him with the U twenties, and you know here you go. He he seems like he's perfect. He's kind of a perfect example of something that you needed. You needed someone like him. What 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 does he bring that that you didn't have, and and that you're you're kind of happy now to to, to add to that? Well, you know he he covers a lot of ground. Uh, he recovers a lot of balls, and he has excellent feet. Um, you know, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for that, but he, he's really smooth with the ball on his feet. You know, he rarely loses the ball in the middle of the field. Um, I think because he's a big guy, people see him a little bit different and people see him a little bit out of position. Um, but he's not, I mean, you know, Derek Jones is an eight, he's an eight and you could potentially even play him as a six. Sometimes I think at Nashville, he, he played mostly as a 10 and sometimes even as a second forward. Um, and I think he was a little bit uncomfortable with that. Um, but I think when you bring him back a little bit more, I think I think we'll be able to get a lot out of him. And I'm really looking forward to that. And obviously, as you mentioned earlier, when you're talking about Fafa, you've added you've added a few players. You've added, you also added Maxi. You added Maxi Rudy, right? That was that was another addition this this week. Or yeah. I, so yeah. so Fafa obviously brings that that speed that that you can't teach that nobody has. You know, there's very few guys that are just that fast. You know, so you you know it's a it's a different dimension. Additionally, he's he's a great person, you know, and that that adds a lot to the team because if I look at the guys, you know, now Maxi Ruti the same, you know, although Maxi, you know, you you're not going to say he's the best goal scorer or has been the best goal scorer in the league. He he's the one that gets goals on every team he's been on, and it's by working hard. He does I think the he's dirty one work. that will fit really well with, to our press. So if we want to press, Maxi is definitely a forward that presses well. Um, and so, and so we're kind of building ourselves with the type of profiles that I think are going to fit our style, uh, our style really well. How surprised were you at being able to land uh, Joe Corona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of, you know, I sometimes I'll be honest with you. I've been in the league one year. I don't, I don't know all the rules all the time. <laughs> right. uh, but when nobody knows when the I, rules, nobody Corona, knows the rules. <laughs> so, so when Joe Corona goes into the draft, into that the second reentry draft. I, you know, I kind of asked, you know, our GM about it. I was like, I, I thought he got picked. You know, I thought he's Austin's player. He's like, no, but they didn't come to an agreement, so he comes into the draft. So we started discussing. We're like, 
well, can we take him? He's like, well, yes, he's available. You know, can, do we want to take him? I said, of course we want to take him. If he's available and they didn't sign him, we want him. Um, you know, Joe, you know, Joe, obviously, as, as you know, because you've been in this for a long time, Joe is a great person, a hard worker, has great feet, has leadership qualities, has played in big clubs, you know, has all of the things that we, we lacked here. And, and I think we're, we're building a club from inside out now with, with these type of people, and Joe fits, fits right in with what we want to do. Now, obviously, with all, all those pieces in place, you, as far as you personally goes, you, you, you have that first season under your belt, and obviously it was a very challenging and, and, and just weird and unique season to have as a first season. But how, how, much, how much more comfortable do you feel heading into year two now uh, as, a, as a head coach in MLS? I mean, because obviously when you, you know, when you jump in, it's a whole different kind of setup than, than being a national team coach. Uh, how much more comfortable do you feel about your, your, your grasp on the, on the job heading into year two? Yeah, I mean, you know, the life of a coach is difficult, you know, because you can never get comfortable. I think the moment you get comfortable is, is the moment that probably, you know, they ask you to leave. So, um, but having said that, I, I'm, you know, I, I like it here. You know, this is, I feel like this is a good home for me. This is a good club. I'm working with and for good people. Uh, and I feel like we're, since we're not the highest spending club, we're like the chip on the shoulder type team. And, and I like that. I think that's been a lot of, you know, what my career was about, you know, from being the little guy, you know, to all that stuff. And I, and I feel like it, I fit in really well with this club. Uh, I'm confident with the players that we have in that we're going to make, uh, that we're going to make an improvement. Uh, and that, and that by the end of the season, we'll, we'll be a, a, a team that can contend for, uh, for the championship. I, I really believe that. And definitely with the additions that you, that you've had, you, the upgrade is going to be expected now. You know, you're going to have a little, you're going to have some more pressure on you heading into year two. You have, you have another team in Texas now in Austin FC. Uh, I mean, is that, how much are you looking forward to that and ha having it? You know, obviously they're the new team. They're going to have pressure on them, but also we know how tough it can be sometimes for expansion teams. So, is it, are you, how much are you looking forward to that 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 matchup and having that other, another rival in in there down there in Texas? I think it'll be great. You know, rivalry games are the best. Uh, so I think it'll be it'll be nice for for us as coaches, for the players, and in particular for the fans. You know, they can drive you know two and a half hours and you know and and go watch the game there, or their fans can come here and watch their team here. I think it's, I, I, I think it's great. You know, I think it'll, it'll eventually become one of the big rivalries in MLS. Last one for me, I promise this is the last one for me. Who's the young player that's ready to kind of come up and that you see kind of making that next step up in your, in your setup? I mean, obviously, you know, Palomino is someone who people have kind of you know, talked about a long time and Memo Rodriguez had a breakout in 2020, really kind of taking his game to a new level. Who who do you see of your younger guys that, that maybe can take that next step in 21? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I have a lot of hopes for, for Danny Rios. Uh, so Danny Rios, uh, I think just turned 17. Uh, and he's a player that I, that I'm hoping that at some point this season can start to play play a part. We have a we have a very uh, crowded midfield here, and he's a midfield player, but he's a battler, and he's uh, he's got good feet and he's got a good mentality. So I'm hoping that he's the next one that breaks through. Nice, 17. That's a that's 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 pretty young, but it sounds like he you think he's ready. I think he can be. I think uh, by the end of the year he can be. Yeah. All right, great. Well, appreciate the time for sure, and uh, definitely congrats uh, on on all the moves this this uh, this week and this off season. And uh, good luck this year. Hopefully, we can get you on again uh, once once the season when whenever the season actually starts, and you know once you get rolling with this new squad. Uh, so definitely, thanks for the time and good luck. 
Yeah, and hopefully we can play some 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 games in the heat this year. We we skipped the summer last year, so we didn't get that advantage. So we need that. That's right. That is a huge. That is a huge advantage. Yep. Uh, having been in Houston yep. in May and June, nobody wants to play in Houston in May and June. So, right, yeah, right. right, right. So, but thank you for having me on. All right, take care, Ivan. Thanks, Dad. And that's Ty Ramos. Uh, I have to, you know, definitely thank him for joining us. Uh, and he had to think he'd be in a good mood after after the week that he's had. And and look, you know, the, it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy first year for him, right? They, they they obviously had their struggles, and then even in on top of them having their struggles, then they lose Albert Albert Elise. You know, they, he heads to Portugal, he goes to Boa Vista, so you lose your best player, and you have a rough year. So right there, it's setting up to be a rough. You know, rough first year, potentially rough second year, but now credit to them, the moves that they've made. When you look at the additions, you talk about Joe Corona, Fafa Pico, Maxi Aruti, Tim Parker, now Ethan Bartlow, and some of these other picks. And I'm telling you, uh, I know some people will say, you know, Strickler, the Virginia Tech forward, how dare you compare him to Wondolowski, right? Chris Wondolowski. I'm telling you, look, I'm not saying he will be Chris Wondolowski. I'm just saying when you watch him play, you know, he's such a fighter that, you know, I got a little bit of Wando vibes, a little bit of Wando vibes. And, and you know, maybe maybe that's still <laughs> that's a still a touchy, touchy subject for Houston Dynamo fans, to anything related to Kwandalowski. But, hey, who knows? You know what? The Dynamo, man, they, 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 you have to say they're, they're the big winners or one of the big winners um, on, on draft day. Who are some of the other big winners uh, in this MLS draft? Now, look, I'm not going to go team by team with the grades because then the show would definitely be too long. But... I think I'm going to start with just kind of rattling off some pe- some teams that I thought came away really in terms of winners. I'm not going to rank them, but I'm just going to say who you know teams that I like that were winners. And I you know I'll start with Minnesota United, right? Um, for them, they end up with two first round picks. They had the one, and they get Justin McMaster. And I mean, look, we should have known Adrian Heath was going to go get himself a forward, right? Because Adrian Heath loves a forward. It's just. He's the forward whisperer, and Justin McMaster, I, I really, really, really like, and I really thought he was someone who was going to slip further than he should. Um, he ends up going 17th overall uh, from Wake Forest. Now, the thing with, uh, you know, if, if you missed the last episode, uh, the, the breakdown on Justin McMaster is he suffered a torn ACL uh, later in the 2019 season. And then he came back in 2020 and wasn't really all the way back physically. So he wasn't his old self. But before the ACL injury, he was arguably Wake Forest's most dynamic player. And that's on a stacked Wake Forest team. Um, And, you know, anyone who watched him play then, you could see he was something special. And obviously Minnesota United, uh, if they get him, if he is healthy, if he gets back to what he was before the injury, this is an absolute steal at number 17, not only from the talent standpoint, but in we know what Adrian Heath can do with a striker in terms of helping them develop, in terms of giving them the confidence, in terms of training them and, and, and really showing them how to master the position. So for me, the, Justin McMaster could, you know, five years from now when we're looking at we're looking at this draft, if Justin McMaster comes away the best player in this draft, I would not be shocked at all. Um, just because, as I said last episode, there's certain things that you need to really kind of, you know, to, to be a to crush it as a as a pick as a draft pick you need you need the talent number one and McMaster has that you need you need the the you need the setup you need the, you know the the coaching in the environment right and and I think he has that at Minnesota and then you need the opportunity and not to say he's going to step in and start on a team as as good as Minnesota United but look 
opportunity will be there for him to play. We know Kevin Molino left. We know there's going to be some minutes in the attack to go around. So maybe McMaster could be that guy. And then they go get Nabi Kibanguchi. They they traded for the very next pick. So they got 17 and then they had 18. Uh, they made the trade with Toronto, traded allocation. And they grabbed a player who, for me, is one was one of the best center back prospects in this draft. There's some questions about, oh, you know, is he a, is he more center back? Is he more defensive midfielder? I think he. W- I don't see him really as a defensive midfielder. I, you know, I heard someone mention something about Ricardo Clark. No, definitely not. Don't see that at all. I think he can develop into a, a good center back and. You know, maybe is he going to need a year of seasoning? Potentially. But, uh, you know, he has crazy upside. He has really, really good upside there. So that, that for me, min- between those two players right there, Minnesota United, for me, one of the big winners, you have to say. Now, D.C. United's another one. They're an interesting one. They had fourth pick. They took Kamarni Smith, number four overall. Very good player. Uh, you know, obviously, last episode, I asked Mike Noonan about him. He couldn't stop raving about him, Let you know, really fast and dangerous left-footed attacking player uh, from England and uh, good pickup there. But then DC trades up to number five and they select Michael DeShields. And I know some people were surprised, right? Some people were like, what, what are they doing? Like, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. It depends on the big board you looked at. It depends on the, you know, the draft coverage you're paying attention to. Cause if you're paying attention to some of the weak draft coverage that's out there and look, there's some bad coverage out there. You probably were like, what? No way. How is this guy? Whatever. But look, if you looked at the last SB MLS draft board, big board, I moved them up pretty, pretty fast, pretty high. I moved them to the top 10. I had them in the top 10 because there there was definitely a a, a growing sentiment that, that he was really one of the guys that, that should be in that top part of the first round. And obviously we had Bobby Muse on. Uh, last episode and Bobby, the Wake Forest coach, and, and he he was he couldn't stop raving about him, and and the things that he said on that episode are just a you know a small sample of the stuff you know he's been telling me for weeks now about Michael DeShields, and as I said last episode, uh, you know, college coaches always are going to vouch for their guys, they're always going to talk up their guys, but I'll give Bobby Muse credit in that he is measured with his praise. Like if he really believes someone is going to be a player, he will, you know, you, you know, when he really believes it, that, that that's how I'll put it. Uh, and I have known him for a few years now. And, and I know when he really believes someone's a player and he absolutely believes the shields is a player. And if you're DC United, you know, you're not going to feel like it's a reach because you, they, they like him. They like him a lot. So they don't mind spending the money to trade up to number five. And right there, you got those two players and then they get Logan, Pancho from Stanford, the uh, the skilled right back, former midfielder. He has the technical quality. Um, I really like those pickups right there. So for me, in terms of in terms of talent, that's a nice trio of players for me. So that's why I, you know, I'll give DC United some credit there. I think they did a good job with those pickups. Um, and then you have, I'm gonna look. They only had. The, actually, I didn't see what they did in the second round. But I, the, one team I got to give some credit to is New England. Uh, and again, sometimes it's a little bit of luck, right? Sometimes it's uh, having things fall your way because um, it was a little bit of a good news, bad news thing for New England because they signed Michael DeShields to a USL contract, right? And at the time, people were like, wait a minute, does this mean he's going to skip the draft? Is, did, did, did New England pull a fast one on, the, on, the, on everybody? Obviously, that's not what happened. He ended up still having to go into the draft and... New England was never going to get him without trading up, as we know now, since he went fifth overall. So that was the bad news. So the good news for uh, Bruce Arena in New England is that they had uh, the Pittsburgh striker Ed Kiza, 
slide all the way down to them. And uh, I said it last episode that, you know, there were some questions about uh, the the circumstances of, of his departure from Pittsburgh, uh, left Pittsburgh under some, you know, questionable circumstances. So, you know, you, you know, some teams were definitely going to look at that and say, mm, is that something we want to deal with? So a lot of teams dropped them off their boards completely. A lot of teams dropped them off, you know, a, a, a good amount, obviously, because he ends up going 24th overall. Uh, when he was a player that, for me, was a top six, top, you know, at times anywhere from top four to top eight level player for me, for my money. Um, but Bruce Arena, man, Bruce Arena does not miss uh, very often when it comes to draft picks, as we saw last year with Henry Kessler. And as we saw years ago with, uh, you know, uh, Omar Gonzalez, AJ De La Garza, I mean, you name it, he's done it through the years, right? So Ed Kiza could end up being a steal for them. And I know, you know, I don't want to say it too many times. I think that was only the second time. Hopefully, I'll try to limit it to like three or four uh, steals overall. But Ed Kiza, I think, could be, could be a steal uh, for New England. One team I, I do kind of want to give a little credit to just as a, a team that made some shrewd later pickups. I'm going to go with Nashville SC as a team that, um, I thought they impressed me because, you know, they didn't have an early pick. Obviously, they were an expansion team who made the playoffs, right? So they they had uh, they ended up, they had the number 20 pick overall. Uh, and they, they, they selected Irokozi Donaciano from Virginia, uh, a midfielder um, who projects as a, as a right back slash right wing back. Uh, and I think he could do well in Nashville setup, but that was like that picks, you know, not bad, not bad, but that wasn't the pick that really did for me. It were later picks that they made second round. They select, uh, Tom judge, the left back from James Madison, speedy, uh, Jersey boy, uh, who I think with, you know, his, his, with his pace, uh, and his physical qualities could, could, you know, he can succeed, I think in MLS. So I like that pickup as a second round, Value. I thought that was pretty good there by Mike Jacobs in Nashville SC. And then the, they had the last, the very last pick in the draft. Actually, before that, even they they they, they selected Sandra Norheim from Syracuse. Not you know, okay, okay. Uh, they selected a goalkeeper, Tor Saunders from Coastal Carolina. I believe former Seattle Sounders uh, academy player. Uh, pretty decent goalkeeper prospect. I mean, he'll be at best the number thir- number three goalkeeper. But for me, the pick that I like from Nashville was the last pick of the draft, number eighty six overall. Leroy Enzagusi, the 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 forward from Drake. Uh, you know, he can play as a winger. Uh, I talked about him in the preview episode, actually, as as that kind of sleeper, just because of the pace and his ability to take people on. And playing in the Nashville counterattacking system, when you get a guy with that kind of speed on the break, uh, the, you know, it, there's some promise there. There's definitely some promise there. And, and you know, <laughs> if someone picks, if someone pans out with the very last pick, you're going to be feeling pretty good, uh, pretty good for yourself. So that's why I like Nashville's draft just as kind of a, kind of a low key winner, right? They, they didn't, you know, they didn't go get Mayaka or, or anything like that, but they, they got some bargains that I think, you know, one or two of those could absolutely pan out. So who are the draft day losers? Who are the draft day teams that just really botched it really didn't do a good job and again it's it's always the thing where it's easy for people to say you know you can't decide that now you got to wait five years and look that's fair to a degree right we can do that but we can uh we can rate these these picks now we can offer an opinion on you know based on the consensus based on what people were you know 
based on what the value was of these players, right? At least kind of the the sense around around there. And I, and I know, <laughs> I know it 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 also probably depends on what draft boards you were looking at, what mock drafts you were looking at. Because if you were looking at the trash ones, you're probably going to be all over the place with your with your opinions on who are the winners and losers. But it, me personally, going off of my uh, rankings and my big board, uh, I would say the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, they, they look head scratcher. I, it, it was a reach. I'm, I, I don't know any other way to put it. San Jose Earthquakes uh, with the with the uh, number twelve overall pick. They selected Tommy Williamson, California striker. And I know, look, it's easy to say, hey, he's a local player for them. He's at California. They should know him very well. How do you? disagree or how do you argue with them when clearly they will have scouted him better than anybody right that's a that's a convenient way to put it but i'm telling you i my my just from everybody that i spoke to and everyone and just getting the sense of where people were rated and evaluated and no one no one no one no one i spoke to had thomas williamson in the top half of the first round so that for me it's just kind of like what are you doing there you get him uh, so just to be clear, San Jose had had a they had that one pick in the first round, and then they had uh, thirty nine overall in the second round, right? And they took George Asomani, uh, North Carolina State midfielder. I there's no way to know, right? There's no way to to have this alternate rea- alternate kind of universe where you can play out the other scenario. But I am willing to bet a fair amount of money that Thomas Thomas Williamson would have been available. With the 39th overall pick. And I know I said earlier in the show that, look, if you find the guy you like, take him, right? I, you know, I said it. I know I, 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 I said that there's a, definitely the argument for that, right? And may, who knows? If uh, Matias Almeida can turn Thomas Williamson into, you know, Wando 2.0 or whatever, like then, yeah, hats off to you. But honestly, I don't see him fitting into, into Almeida's system. I don't. So I I would be I would put I would put more money on Williamson not even making the team over Williamson actually becoming the the uh, the breakout player for them. So if I'm wrong and I look I I'll be the first to say I've been wrong before uh, about draft picks. So if I am wrong I will I will absolutely you know stand up and 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 you know be like hey my bad I was wrong I totally missed I totally whiffed. But this is why I'm here. I'm putting my opinion down and I'm letting it be known. That's that's how I see it. And I definitely see it like that. And I don't think I'm alone in that. So I think that was the one that was really, I got to say, was a real head scratcher for me. Um, in terms of the other first round picks. Now, Austin FC, I said it earlier. I, I, I had questions. I had questions about their picks. Um, now, no one's going to be upset. They're definitely not going to be upset about Daniel Pereira because he's a real, real talent. They're going to be happy there. But number 11... Freddie Kleeman, I mean, I'm sorry. There were better center backs available. I really, for as many first-round picks as they had, right, they had the 21 overall pick. They definitely could have gotten Kleeman there. They had the 28th overall pick, first pick of the second round. They could have gotten Freddie Kleeman there. In my opinion, I know you could argue, oh, but someone could have traded up. Maybe, you know, Seattle Sounders, maybe they liked him. Maybe someone liked him, and then they take him away. So why risk it? Why risk it? Right? Yeah, I get it, right? I get it. But... I would probably argue that if another if a savvier team with a little bit more drafty experience had the same uh, picks in the same situation as Austin, I think they would handle it better, handle it differently, because they would have been able to work the trade market. They would have been able to trade down, get what they want, and still get their guy. Um, but obviously, as I said earlier, this is this is Joshua's first draft, Austin's first draft. 
So they they didn't have they don't have that draft day savvy. They don't. So they didn't pull it off. Um, so yeah, some of these picks, I, 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 okay, it's a okay. It was an okay draft for Austin FC, which is disappointing considering the picks that they had. So that's why uh, you know I would not call Austin uh, a winner on draft day. I should have added them to this list earlier, but I gotta say FC Cincinnati, um, they gotta feel pretty happy. You know, you get Calvin Harris, number two pick. Obviously, he was just there for them, so they didn't have to do much. They didn't, but they didn't botch it. They took the right guy, and he's a real talent. Uh, he could definitely start for them. And you know what? If you're if you're early, early, early MLS uh, Rookie of the Year candidates, I mean, he can play, man. He could play. He could end up playing for Cincinnati, starting for them. Uh, but then they go get Avion Flanagan with the uh, second pick in the second round, the South Florida left back. I like him a lot. He gives them some good depth at left back, especially when you consider that Ronald, Ronald Matarita could be away on international duty with Costa Rica in 2021. So can't hurt to have some, you know, a potential option to replace him if he's away on international duty. So that's great. Um, but yeah, no, they had a, I thought they had a pretty decent day um, just right there with those two picks. Um, and then they had a few later picks, locals, Jonas Feldberg from Dayton and uh, Matthew Vowinkle from Hofstra, a forward from Hofstra. But yeah, no, I'll give Cincinnati a little credit. They had a decent day, but um, who, who else? Who else had a bad draft, right? Um, yeah, no, and, and I'm looking to just crap on people. Uh, the New York Red Bulls were interesting. The New York Red Bulls were interesting, and I, I'll end it with this. The Red Bulls, uh, so they took Luther Archimede, the, the Syracuse striker. I thought it was early for them at 13 overall taking him. I thought that was a reach. Um, and the reason is, look, at the end of the day, he was a mediocre player in college. He just, you look at his, if you look up, if you look at his performance in college, his, his statistics in college, he was, he was, he didn't do much in college, but what did he do? He looked good at their at the Sporting KC slash MLS Combine in November, right? Which is what a lot of teams used as their one of their main measuring sticks for for this uh, for some of the prospects in this draft. And clearly, the Red Bulls liked what they saw. So you take that, you take the fact that he has international experience playing for Guadalupe, and uh, and you know if they wanted a big forward. Obviously, they they just the whole Matthias Jorgensen transfer uh, debacle that didn't work out for them. So they're going, they're trying to get find another forward. Um, I, I you know I thought that was an early pick. Um, so we'll see. I mean, obviously, last year I liked when they took Patrick Seagrist, and clearly that didn't work out. So who knows? Maybe if you know, I don't like this pick. Maybe this one will pan out for them. But uh, I will give the Red Bulls credit. Their second round pick impressed me more than the first round pick. And that was uh, Lamine Kante, the Louisville center back slash defensive midfielder. Uh, I like him a lot for the Red Bulls. Definitely, um, you know, tough tackling, really good passer. Um, obviously, he's, you know, he can, you know, he can move, but he's strong. He's he's strong and athletic, but he can pass. Like he, he really has some good qualities and he's tough. He's a tough player. So he's going to, you know, he's going to get in there. He's not going to be afraid to tackle. And I think he's going to thrive in that Red Bull system. So in, in terms of a bit of a surprise, I mean, not the, and I, 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 I sang his praises. I sang his praises in the in the preview, so uh, it's not out, it's not out of nowhere. But Conte, I like. I give you the credit for that one, New York Red Bulls. That was a good move. Um, and look, the Red Bulls, uh, pretty good week for them. Uh, they they signed Andres Reyes, the the former Inter Miami center back. Um, we broke that on SBI, or I broke it on Twitter. Um, but that that's a that's a great pickup for them. Absolutely, I was surprised Miami didn't keep him i was surprised they didn't spend the money to keep him although my understanding is that miami wanted to keep him but um 
I think Atletico Nacional had other plans for him. I think he had he at the time had other plans, and they couldn't work it out. They couldn't they couldn't uh, make the deal happen to keep him at Miami. And apparently, from there, whatever deal they were cooking up, whatever move, my understanding was it might have been a move to uh, to Europe to Belgium actually. Um, that move did not work out. That that move did not pan out. And once that didn't pan out, it, it reopened the door to MLS. And the Red Bulls, credit to the Red Bulls, they're always looking for the opportunity for younger players who could potentially be transferred over to Europe. So in their minds, you know, Andres Reyes has transfer value potentially because he's still young. He's young. He's 21, I believe, 21, 22. Um, so look, if he if he crushes it, if he has a really good year for the Red Bulls, then in a year you can flip him over to Europe. Whereas Tim Parker is as as solid a nonetheless uh defender as he is. At, I mean he's what is he, twenty six now, twenty seven? There's no, you know, the trend there's no transfer future there for him. Like he's a very, very good MLS uh center back, but you know, European teams aren't lining up for Tim Parker. So uh you understand why they made that move. And um, you know, that that I thought that was a pretty good pickup for them. So between Reyes and Conte, they, they they've got. I mean, I don't know how many center backs they have, but that's a pretty good pair for them. And we'll wrap up with a. And that's it with the MLS draft. Uh, I think I think I've touched on enough. It's already that this episode is getting pretty long. Uh, so apologies if you're still listening, and apologies if you couldn't make it to this point or you had to like listen to it in parts. I'm definitely I'm rusty, so I'm going to try to get better at, at keeping the episodes to an hour or less. 40 minutes, 50 minutes to an hour. That's, that's the goal going forward. But not today. This is going to be at least an hour and a half probably. But we'll wrap it up. A couple of last moves. Phil Neville is the head coach of Inter-Miami. Um, no surprise there. That had been rumored for a while. I'm not convinced that he's going to do well as a coach, right? I'm not. Just He's never coached men. He's never coached a club team before. He coached the England women, a very, very good England women team, women's team. He got him to the semifinals of the Women's World Cup. I mean, look, he's a smart guy. No disputing that. But he hasn't really been a, head, a manager of a club. So we'll see how he does. I'm not convinced that he's going to crush it, but we'll see. Um, I'm even less convinced by DC United's hire, uh, Hernan Lozada. Um, uh, now he's a younger manager, and he's had a little bit of – he actually has experience. To be fair, he has experience. Uh, he, he, he had experience in Belgium. So he, he – you know. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Because as, as it's pretty much been widely reported, DC United had discussions with other MLS uh, people, people known in MLS. Chris Armas, uh, the former Red Bulls coach, who's now the Toronto FC coach, was in the running for DC United. Um, depending on who you ask, they offered him the job. They didn't offer him the job. He was close. He wasn't that close. It, it, it's always interesting how how the stories get get framed once things don't work out, right? So. But they did have an opportunity to hire Chris Armas. Uh, they, and they passed. They passed on him. Uh, Gonzalo uh, Pineda, the Seattle Sounders assistant coach, was also in the mix in the conversation. Uh, they didn't work out. Um, and those are, that, look, those are two people who you know are pretty highly respected around the league. DC United turns around and they go and hire a guy who has no ties to MLS whatsoever, uh, who's fairly young in his own right uh, as a manager. Uh, less than I think he had less than two years of experience as a head coach, as a manager. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how they do there. Uh, if you're asking me would I bet money on him succeeding as a coach, no, I wouldn't put a penny on it. But if it pans out, and if he succeeds, uh, then you know what DC United's ownership uh, group is going to be looking looking pretty good. Now, having said that, if he falls flat, if DC falls flat, and Chris Armas crushes it with Toronto FC, 
then you're going to have some questions to answer because DC could have had Chris Armas. They absolutely could have had Chris Armas. My understanding is that he wanted the job. He was ready to take the job and it didn't work out. DC backed out or not, or, you know, depends who you are, who you ask Armas backed out, whoever point is if DC wanted it to happen, it would have happened. So that's going to be the measuring stick. Chris Armas, Hernan Lasada, who does better? And obviously you can argue, well, hey, Toronto FC is a better team, so it's not really fair, but so what? You had a chance. And it says something that DC United coming off an atrocious, atrocious year, they have a chance to hire Chris Armas. And then who hires him but a much better team, right? And I know you'll, you know some people will argue, ah, well, that was Ali Curtis. Ali Curtis knows Chris Armas. They have a relationship. I don't want to hear that. Bill Manning is the president of Toronto FC. If he didn't want Chris Harmis as the coach, Chris Harmis would not be the coach. So it tells me something that Toronto FC, a clearly successful team, a strong team, a well-run team, they hired Chris Harmis. So, you know, I think that speaks that I think that says more about DC than it does about, you know what I mean? Like that I, I don't think that that shines too well on DC. But if Lasada pans out, then they then they can be like, "Ah, see, we were, we knew what we were doing all along. So, time will definitely tell on that. And uh, I think that's it. That wraps it up. We've covered every topic under the sun. It's an hour. I got to say, about an hour and a half in, probably longer. Um, and I apologize for that. As you as you know, I'm still getting into the swing of things. It's actually 4 a.m. on Friday right now. So I have to edit this and put it together and have it ready for the morning drop. And then I'm gonna sleep for like two days because I am burnt out after the MLS draft week. Uh, MLS Draft Week is always the craziest uh, week for me in the whole year, but it's the most fun. I mean, I, I love it. I live for it. And anyone who followed the coverage knows that I definitely, you know, I dive in, man. I'm all in with it. Uh, as much as the draft may or may not be around in five years, uh, while it's still here, I'm going to I'm gonna be all in with it and really try to cover it the way it deserves to be covered because, look, MLS fans want to know about it. And they deserve to know have a, a good sense of who the, the good prospects are and um, so that's what I, you know, that's what I try to do. So hopefully I, I was able to do that and hopefully uh, people were able to really kind of follow the draft and, and, and enjoy it to some degree as much as it was, uh, as much as it was a little bit of a crazy one. So uh, that's all for now. Um, so, so, for, you know, obviously I have to, I have to thank uh, our two guests, uh, Austin FC head coach, Josh Wolf and uh, Houston. <laughs> I almost said uh, Metro stars head coach, Tad Ramos. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Houston Dynamo head coach Tab Ramos, who uh, former Metro Stars midfielder uh, Tab Ramos, who who I actually covered back in the day. Um, for those of you who don't know my background, my first year covering MLS was 1999, and Tab Ramos was on that team. He was on the uh, the Metro Stars team, so uh, you know that's going way way back. Uh, just a reminder for me of how old I am, because you know. My first, my first, and I put it on Twitter. My first MLS draft story was 2000, interviewing the number one overall pick, Steve Sheck. Right. My first MLS mock draft was in 2002, where Taylor Tolman was the first pick in the draft. Right. There were players drafted in this draft this year who were not even alive when those things happened. So I definitely feel old, uh, you know. But I love it. Uh, it's been it's been. 20 plus years and uh, 
I enjoy every minute of it, and I, I hope you all enjoy it. I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, continue to to enjoy the show. If you have any questions or if you have any suggestions, uh, things you like, you don't like, I know I, I know I'm still working on some things, working on on the quality of the uh, of the recordings, but we'll get we'll get we'll get there, right? So it's been a year, got to shake the rust off. But that's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalarset. This is the SBI Show.